Welcome to the Spirit Sisters podcast. My name is Karina Machado and I'm the author of Spirit Sisters, Women's True Stories of the Paranormal. In this podcast, I'll revisit the women behind my most unforgettable stories and unearth new tales to chill, intrigue, astound and offer hope. You'll hear first-hand accounts of ghostly visitors, near-death experiences, premonitions, hauntings and love more powerful than death. Whatever you believe about the afterlife, I invite you to open your minds and hearts as ordinary women reveal their extraordinary encounters. Welcome to another episode of the Spirit Sisters podcast. It's so lovely to have you back with me. And I do apologize, there's been a little bit of a delay getting this one out. And I guess um, a big part of that is my other podcast that I'm doing, The Ghost Files, which I'm really enjoying as well. I have a lovely producer that I work with there to get that podcast out. His name is Dennis. Thank you, Dennis. You're helping me so much. Part of the delay with Spirit Sisters is that I have no Dennis at home to help me (laughs) with the editing and getting everything done. So I appreciate your patience. I'm really excited to share this episode with you, and I know I say that maybe every time, but I I am thrilled. One of the reasons I started the Spirit Sisters podcast was to celebrate the women that were in my book, Spirit Sisters, and that I met over a decade ago. Micheline is one of those women whose stories I I told in uh, Spirit Sisters and who her story has stayed with me, and it is such a key piece in my memory. Whenever I think of Spirit Sisters, I think of Micheline's story. It's one of those. And it has to do with a premonition. And I think one of the reasons why it it is so profound in my memory is that the idea of premonitions, of sensing the imminent death of a loved one, was one of the, um, what would you call it, sparks that ignited my fascination for the spirit world, the paranormal, the mysteries and marvels, as I like to call it. Because when I was very small, probably around seven, my mum shared with me a couple of moments where she had sensed the imminent deaths of loved ones in her family. And uh, I wrote about that in Spirit Sisters, about how that just stayed with me. So it is my pleasure to share with you today my interview, my catch-up with Micheline, who had an incredible, well, I say incredible, but really it's very credible. Micheline is a very credible witness who had an astounding experience of sensing the imminent death of a very high-profile person. Basically, she saw it all play out in front of her in vivid Technicolor in a dream in a dream that was like no other. Here is my conversation with Micheline. Thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, I encourage you to rate, review and subscribe because that's the way we can grow and uh, reach more people who would also enjoy it. Thank you so much, everybody. Hello, Micheline, and welcome to the Spirit Sisters podcast. Thank you. It is wonderful to have you on. Um, As I am sure I mentioned in the introduction, Your story about your premonition of the assassination of JFK is one of those Spirit Sisters stories that has absolutely stayed with me. And I think I mentioned to you in a a message where we were messaging to and fro that I saw the movie Jackie on Netflix and it's all about sort of the first days of um, Jackie Kennedy following President Kennedy's assassination. And the first thing I thought of when that movie began was your dream. Now, um, 
before we actually go into the dream itself, and I do want you to tell our listeners about about the dream in as much detail as you can remember, tell us a little bit about you, who you are, and then about your childhood and how you have always had these premonitions. Well, um, I'm 76 and uh, I had a bit of a... Uh, Fun, a fun childhood as far as being mixed and moving around a lot. My mum was French. Well, she still is. She's 99 and she's still around. Amazing. <laughs> and my dad was English. What happened was my mum went to uni. She was in Durham University when the war broke out. And um, there were some things that she had to do because she wasn't British. And she said, what should I do? in order not to have to turn up at the police station every day and report in as it marry an Englishman, so she did. She was 19 years old, and then she joined the, the army. So I started my life in utero, in the army, because she, and then when the doctor said, you can't stay, she said, but I can work at the desk in a uniform. She said, he said, no, we don't make uniform for pregnant women. So that was the end of her life in the army and I was born in England and then she took me to France in 1945 where I come from is Dinard in Brittany and it was liberated on the 15th of August 1945 and we were there on the 1st or 2nd of September. This ferry, the first ferry that came across she took me home. So I grew up in France and then my father turned up after the war when he was demobbed and we were based in Germany and then based in England and back to France and back to Germany. And then we immigrated to Australia. How old were you when you immigrated to Australia? I've been about nine. Okay. Uh, we lived here for three, four years and then the split happened with my parents and mum went back to live in France and um, my sister and I went back and continued our studies and our life in France. So we were always switching from English to French. I don't know any better. I'm just bi bilingual, uh, what they call totally bilingual. I don't, I don't know that I'm saying it in French or in English. It just happens. <laughs> oh, it would be so wonderful to know how to speak French. Oh, well, I don't know. I, I did, did take the lazy way out and did my studies in applied linguistics and became a, a commercial translator because it was all there. I didn't have to make the effort, but I, I had to get the, the qualifications. So I went through and did that. So I'm a, a member of NATI Canberra. Uh, not anymore. I, I've retired now. And so, Micheline, um, tell us about your first awareness of your ability to sense the future. When, when's your first memory of having a premonition? Um, well, I think it would go back, right back to when I first came to France in 1945. I was only two, three-year-old. And I used to see these things and uh, mention them quite casually at the dinner table and people would look at me and say, what did you just say? Oh, well, you know, Mr. So-and-so down the road, uh, why did he die? And they said, but he's not dead. And then two days later, he had a heart attack. And, but there were just little little things like that. Then I started school, and I used to say things, and people looked at me strangely. So I sort of 
built a wall. I, I didn't like mentioning these things because I thought everybody's not like that. And then when I was about, oh, we just come back from Australia actually, so I would have I would have been about twelve or thirteen. And uh, we were living in the south of France and coming up for the holidays to visit my grandparents. And as we arrived, the doctor was leaving from the area. Now, there was no way to know that where he had come from because there was a, a, a group of houses in, in, in there and a parking lot. And uh, we walked past. The doctor said, hello. And we said, hello. And I said, oh, quickly, Granddad's had a heart attack. And Mum looked at me and she said, why are you saying that? Well, the doctor, that's what he came for. He's, he, he came to see him. And it was true. He had come with his machines and he'd done an ECG or whatever they do. Uh, it wasn't that bad that he had to be hospitalized. But still, I, I just I just knew. I just, I just knew and it didn't surprise me. Um, and, and that sort of throughout my life, it wasn't just dreams that I had. The Kennedy was a dream, but... A lot of things I have just said for, for no reason at all. I've just come up with something and said it. And two or three days later, I, I realised that what I had said was actually happening. And I'm thinking, is this déjà vu? You know, I, I found it very, yes, very difficult to understand. So I didn't really look into it. I didn't research it. And as I grew older and married and had children and, and, and you know, my life developed, I, I didn't really have much time for this sort of thing. But since I've been widowed and since I've been alone the last 20 years, I, I get, I, it's coming back. It's happening again. It's happening again, yes. When is an example of it having happened recently? Oh, well... Uh, before, it all started about maybe 10 years ago. My sister had a very bad uh, car accident. And she lives in Germany but comes over to France regularly every summer. Now, I never felt the urge to ring them when they were there. We corresponded, you know. but we. And this particular time, I rang. I rang mum and she said, oh, they're not home. They're out sailing, it's their last day, and they're making the most of it. I said, oh, that's all right. I'll, I'll catch up with them before they leave in the morning. So when my sister came home, she did ring me back because she knows me, you know. She said, why did you ring? I said, I don't know, but please be careful on the roads. And uh, that, that was the last time I spoke with her. And next thing I know, mum rings me. This is like two or three days later, saying that she was in hospital, that had a really bad accident on the way, some drunk person had come onto the highway the wrong way. She ended up in hospital, but her children were okay. The husband was okay. So he took everybody back to Germany and then came back to see, to be with her because she was hospitalised in Paris. Okay. And mum got the train and went up. And she said to my sister, oh, we should really contact your sister. And Patricia said, oh, you know her. She knows, She already knows. And uh, Micheline, I wonder if your gifts, so clearly you have these amazing psychic gifts. 
Do they only manifest in this way of premonitions or do you have other experiences such as seeing or sensing spirits or anything else? Um, spirits sometimes. Uh, I, I, I sense that there's somebody there talking to me, but it doesn't happen as regularly, as often as, as I hear. You know, when, when I read books and, and things, the spirit sisters, you know, they talk about it a lot. And... It, no, it doesn't happen to me. But I did reconnect with a, a, a friend, no, a boyfriend I had when I was in New Guinea. Forty years later, his mother came to me. I never met her, him, his mother. Well, tell us about that. What happened? Well, it was the middle of the night and I heard this voice as clear as I'm speaking to you. Take care of my boy. Take care of my boy. And I'm thinking, I work in a school. Who are you? Which boy are you talking about? Give me a sign, tell me. And all I saw was floating around the room a sign that said F-I-L-S, which is Phil's. Fils in French is son. So I'm thinking, okay, you've already told me that I have to look after your son, but who is it? And later I, I discovered that the Phil's was really Phyllis. Because they, the spirits don't write in, they, they, it's just a tonal. So she, she tried to say Phyllis and she wrote F-I-L-S, which in French means some. Right, so it confused you momentarily, yeah. But I didn't know any Phyllis. I didn't know who she was talking about. So I sort of let it go until on, on the way to, to school one day, I kept hearing things in my head and I'm thinking I'm going crazy and I went home that night and researched for some reason that the name of this man that I had met 20 or 40 years ago who had said to me at the time when I'm finished up in New Guinea I'll always go back to to uh, Lakes Entrance in Victoria if ever you're looking for me that's where I'll be so I, I looked him up in the phone book and I found him and his address and I sent a postcard, and we did reconnect, and he did come up and see me, and I told him about the dream, and I said, what's your mother's name? And he said, Phyllis, <laughs> and everything came, fell into, into place. Oh, wow. So, so Phyllis's voice woke you in the night? Absolutely. Yeah. As clear as a bell. And then you saw, which is very interesting, you didn't see her spirit, you saw like a sign. You know the, the signpost, the white old-fashioned signpost with the name of the town written on it? Yeah. Well, that's what it had written, it, all in lower register letters. F -I, I can still see it now when I'm talking about it. F-I-L-S, and I'm thinking, well, okay, that's sun in French. I know I'm supposed... And what, what happened was, the bottom line, is that he had been diagnosed with cancer, and he was sort of cleaning out his... He had been divorced for about 15 years and his daughter lived in Melbourne somewhere. And he was sorting out his papers and he must have found something of mine or a, an old photograph, you know, something from our time up in New Guinea. So he had been thinking about me. And for mm. some reason his mother contacted me and was saying, look after my boy. And now I know because... The last couple of years of his life, we, we spent a lot of time on the phone, not physically, because he was down in Lake's entrance and I was up here. 
But I think I was a great um, help to him. He'd ring up and we'd just talk. So you fulfilled his mum's wish. You looked after her boy. Exactly, exactly. So uh, things like that. And other times I've been woken up by somebody shaking me, but I never see anybody. And then in those instances, do you have an understanding of who they are? Uh, m- most most time, um, it, it's somebody that, that's from my family, either my grandmother or my grandfather, people that were very close to me. But it, it's nothing dramatic. I don't. There's no message. It's just there. You okay? We're watching over you. You know, just be happy. Uh, th- that's the feeling I'm getting. Because there's no words. A sense of, of uh, a calm. A sense of calm and and. and uh, Yes, that's all I can can explain it. That's lovely, a sense of calm. And so many people would believe that, and perhaps Hollywood contributes to this, that seeing a spirit is a fearful thing. But I've spoken to so many lovely women and men who share that it's not a a fearful thing, it's a comforting thing. Oh, yes, absolutely not frightening. Well, Mm. not for me anyway. It's it's always been a, a, a very calming very calming and, and uh, I, I don't know how to explain it. I'm, I'm not really, you know, into <laughs> looking it up. I just live with it. Yes. Oh, that's a great way to put it. So, so Micheline, let's let's tell the listeners who must be on the edges of their seats <laughs> about about your Kennedy dream. And I know that um, you were 19 years old or so? Is that- uh, 20. 20, sorry. Yeah. Tell us, and you were living in London at the time. Yes, I had gone over to work as a nanny because the, uh, they advertised for a nanny who spoke French. Well, I fitted the bill, didn't I? So I went over... And uh, I worked with them there, to a little boy and a little girl. And um, it was, he, as you know, he was assassinated on the 22nd of November. And that's my mum's birthday. So I had purchased a, a birthday card so that I could send it over to France with plenty of time for her to, to receive it. Then I had the dream. So I spoke to my employer about it, the, the lady. That, that, that I worked for, and I told her about it all. She said, that, that's very strange, and I left it at that. But tell us, before, let me, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Micheline, tell us about the dream. What did you dream? Well, I dreamt, I, I dreamt, first of all, I saw this man in a uniform, uh, uh, not, not a uniform, uh, uh, camouflage. Okay. Camouflage uniform. Uh, he, he, he appeared in my dream like he was coming out of a swamp, or a dark place, or a dark room. He was coming out of the dark in this swampy uniform, camouflage uniform, and next thing I know, the car's driving past, the presidential car with Kennedy and, and Jackie with the little pillbox hat that she had on and all the people in the background and waving and that, and then he just shoots him. Whereas in the story, it, it's more he's hidden, he's up somewhere, I, you know, in my dream, he walked out of this swampy place in a uniform and shot him. And it really struck me because why would I be dreaming of Kennedy? He wasn't family, he, he, you know. It really upset me so much that I spoke to my my employer about it and I included a note to mum in, in the card. And when she received the card, 
she, I think she pretty much received it on the on the day on the twenty second, and with the time difference with America, she was she was reading my message when she was hearing it on the news. Oh gosh, that's extraordinary. So let's let's backtrack a little bit. So you would have had this dream how um, how many days before the actual assassination? Do you think? I think about four or five days. Okay. That's the time I, I had decided it took for a car to get across the channel. I don't even think it went airmail, you know, they used to just send them off. and But it was just really across the channel. Yeah, just, just a few days before. Okay. And so that's interesting. I didn't know that part, that the first thing that you saw in the dream was this man in the military camouflage and he was holding a gun? Oh, holding a gun, but holding one of those, I, I don't know the names of them, but it was a, you know, long, long rifle type thing. A rifle. Yes, it was. And he, he was coming out all by himself, nobody with him. He just appeared. He just appeared. And, and then from this swampy area that I remember, next thing he's in the middle of the, the, the crowd people and, and, and the car and the president and the wife and the flags. I remember the flag, close my eyes, I can still see it. But then we've had pictures of it, so maybe I'm confusing mm. what I've seen on the telly. But that, that was the dream and and, and he was shot and, and the blood splattered, went everywhere. It was, I think, one of the most shocking things I've ever dreamt because uh, it, it was so vivid and I really needed to talk to people about it because I, I you know other dreams I just kept them to myself but this was so vivid that I needed validation I needed yeah. somebody else to know and so you spoke to your employer and you included the note to your mum so you did both those things those things and on the day that it came up on the news I, I, I was helping the, the kids I was upstairs they were having a bath and a lady called me down. She said, quickly, come down and look at the news. And it was almost what I'd seen in my dream that I saw the car. They were showing, they were showing the car. And, they were sh- and I'm thinking, this is not possible. This, this can't be. So, yeah, it was... Was your dream in colour? Now, there's a question. I usually dream in colour, but I, 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 I wouldn't... Do you know what? I think you told me it was because you remembered her pink outfit. Pink, yes, pink. But see, they're all very subdued colours. Yes. And the blood, no, the blood. Oh, you saw the blood, of course. Uh, Yes, I'm thinking, uh, I normally always dream in colour, but sometimes I don't. But I I have a feeling, thinking back, and it's a long time now, (laughs) but the the fellow coming out of the the swamp in, in this camouflage type fatigues that he had on I have an impression that was sort of all monochrome type thing and it's only when he got to the to the because the flags yeah the flags I could see the colors and I saw the blood and I saw but see pink outfit could have been you know if I was look, seeing it in black and white could have been a, a, a white you know that, that's very pale it, it, it was pink but it not so much the colour, but the hat. The hat was, I could still see her in her little hat. And what, what was your perspective in the dream? Were you floating above the scene, watching? Uh, no, I don't think I was floating above. I think I was, but I was there as an observer, I guess, mm. from, from the crowd. Yeah, I don't think I was 
because I have had dreams like that when I'm above everything. But no, I'm pretty sure I was level, level with people, level with everybody. And I speak about it often because uh, something happens, and, and I'll I'll tell people, well, you know, this happened to me, and so I, 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 over the years I've repeated it. That's why I guess it's so. Uh, it's still very fresh in my mind. Yes. And do you remember what your employer's reaction was when she called you down to show you? Was she shocked that your dream had come true? She, she was surprised. I don't know about shocked. She, she, she was Norwegian, married to an Englishman and a nurse. So uh, I guess maybe she'd seen quite a few things during her time in hospital and, and, and things like that. Um, Yes, surprise, yes, but not, you know, uh, oh, dear, dear, dear type thing. Yes, she, she was quite open to the fact that I had told her a few days beforehand. And how did you feel? I really felt terrible because I thought to myself, maybe if I hadn't dreamt that, he wouldn't have been shot. I went through, you know, thinking I had something to do with it, which obviously I, I didn't. But I, um, yes, I, I felt guilty of, of dreaming it. And when you were in the dream or having the dream, did you get any sense of the gunman's motivation or where he came from or, or a deeper sort of a significance of what you were seeing? No, I don't, I, I don't remember that. Uh, not really. All I know is this man came out of the swamp and ki killed another man. You know, that was... <laughs> and then there, I, I don't think... I don't think there was any, any motivation explained to me or presence. Okay. I can't remember that. And then at the, at the time you were a 20-year-old nanny, you know, working in London. What was your awareness of President Kennedy? It was, would it have been unusual for you to be dreaming of this public figure? Oh, no, because uh, I remember the elections and we were, when, when he, you know, Young, we thought he was wonderful. We were all in love with him, anyway. <laughs> uh, and and uh, yeah. So and, and he was doing things, and and no, we heard about him a lot, and, and I think everybody liked him. So you know, uh, that was that, That's why it was so sad. That's why I felt so bad about it because I said I dreamt that maybe you know, maybe it was me, but. No. And later on, when Lee Harvey Oswald was apprehended and then killed himself, did you did he look like the man in your dream, or what did you think about that? The the man in my dream had a, a, a cap on. You know, he had the the. I can still now, if I close my eyes, I can still see that it was coming out, and he had one of those army army caps. You know, with the with the camouflage pattern on it. Yes. So I didn't really see a face. I just saw a person. Okay. A person could, that could have easily been a woman, for all I know. Right. You know, uh, there was no significant, just the, the, the uniform, the cap, the gun. L like you sort of see them now, there's a lot of movies, uh, serials now, you know, with, with uh, NCIS and, and all those things that we watch. And sometimes they have episodes, you know, the, the, the Navy SEALs. Uh, that type of dress, you can't really tell, uh, although mine didn't have all the paraphernalia like they have today. Mine was just the camouflage and the gun. That was it. There was nothing else. And, I mean, I think I'd have to research this, but there's this idea that when 
an event of such significance happens in the world, there are people that later on will come out and reveal that they dreamt about it or had a sense of it. And certainly that was the case around 9-11 as well. Did you ever again have a dream, a premonition of a, a catastrophe again like later on? Uh, not not uh, worldwide, but for my sister's accident, I did. I did. Uh, I woke up in the middle of the night. I could smell the fuel, and 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 I woke up speaking French. And my husband said, "What what's the matter?" Well, oh, I said, "There's been an accident. There's been an accident." And and I knew in the night. I've you know, it was revealed to me a few days later. Mum rang, and uh, I mean they're they're all okay today. She had to stay in hospital for a while, but I knew I knew that something had happened, and and it was the smell of the the, the fuel that woke me up. Now you know I'm lying in bed in a house. Where would I get the smell of fuel from? When you reflect on what you're able to do in this gift of of sometimes knowing the future, what do you put it down to, or how do you process it? Well, I don't, I, I, like I said before, I've never really researched it. It's just part of me. Some people have brown eyes. I've got blue eyes. I accept it. That's, that's who I am. Yeah. I've never really gone into it. But as a little child, I thought everybody was the same and we could discuss things and do things. And, and then, I, then it wasn't, so I, I built a bit of a wall during my adult life. I raised, got married, raised a family. And I didn't really delve into it very much. But occasionally, it's mainly what I say now rather than what I dream. For absolutely no reason at all, I will tell. I try and walk every day. A friend that lives, a neighbour of mine, we go out walking. And for no reason at all, I will say to her, Oh, how's Jessica? That's the daughter that lives in Perth, right? And, and uh, I don't really know her. I only know her from my friend talking to me about her. And, and I said, how is she? And she said, oh, she's fine. And I said, are you sure? Turned out that she had an accident. And she was fine. She'd been put in a, she had a collar. And so my friend went over to Perth to be with the daughter. And she, she found out that evening. We rang her that evening. But it, it, it just came out of me. Why Why would I ask her, her daughter? She's got three children. Why did I select that one in particular? And, and it was this, it felt like an urge that I needed to ask her how the daughter was. So it's little things like that that I say and I'm thinking, why did I say that? Or why did I do that? Or why did I go and buy such and such? And then a few days later it reveals that, well, yes, this happened and you needed that because you broke something, so you needed to. I don't really call it premonition. I just call it that, that I'm on top of things. You know, <laughs> I'll go out and buy, buy a new battery for my phone because I know that it, it might. I, I don't know. I like that. You're on top of things. That's it. Yes, I can't, I can't explain it. There's somebody sitting on my shoulder telling me to do it. Does your mum have this ability? No, not at all. Not, nor does my sister. Nor does my sister, but my grandmother did. Okay. My grandmother was like that, and I'm told uh, my grandson, who's just eighteen, now he's never spoken to me about it. But at the moment, I'm sort of babysitting him twice a week. He's going to college in Brisbane, and 
and he gets the six o'clock train, which I take him to in the morning, but it's closer to, to the station than where he lives, so he comes with me. And he's been opening up and, and saying things to me. And I said, oh, well, you're part of the family. We're all like that. He said, oh, that's good, he said, because somebody suggested I was a schizophrenic. I said, don't be silly. So he's having premonitions. He, he is. And, and, and he hears things and he does things. And he, uh, so, um, I mean, I think he, he's normal. But he, he was relieved to know that I was like that and my grandmother was like that. So he's, he's feeling much better about it. Now. Isn't that good? It's a family trait. And I know that, you know, when I was researching my books, that topic, that sort of theme of the gift being passed down came up time and again. So, I mean, you know, there's no scientific research that I know of to back it, but anecdotally, I hear it all the time. Can I just say something? You, I, I hear you referring to this all the time as a gift. I don't see it as a gift. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. I don't consider it, uh, you know, I mean, uh, I'm a sighted person. I can see. I don't consider that a gift. I can walk. I'm not. I'm not uh, paralysed. I guess maybe it's a gift because some people are, and some people are blind and they can't see. So, but I consider that as part of, of who I am, not as, as something special or a gift. Yes, I understand what you're saying because, you know, when I started writing Spirit Sisters, it was all about this idea of the paranormal, and now more than a decade on. I don't consider these these traits to be paranormal. I feel like they are normal and they are part of us, as you say. And, and I'll even go a step further. I, I consider that probably everybody has that ability. It's just a matter of opening up and, and, and letting it come to you. Yes. And not say, oh, this is ridiculous, you know, I'm not going to listen to this. I'm not. Um, I, I don't know. Some people are more apt than others, I guess, like you have some people. Now, being a musician is a gift, I consider. People that can sit there and they, they carry on a conversation and they, they, they're playing it. To me, that's a gift. Mm. What, what I've done in the past, it's just, um, to me, it's just normal. It's just something normal that occurs for whatever reason. And I don't know, I don't know. I still don't understand why like that and not my sister or you know not my mum it's a mystery it's a mystery it's it is a mystery it is a mystery uh, often uh, I, I don't know whether you've heard the expression do you speak french at all no no sadly to have uh, l'esprit cartésien uh, the cartesian spirit tell me about that oh no well uh, um Descartes, René Descartes was a, a philosopher mm -hmm. and a mathematician and uh, he was also very um, uh, lo logic. The logic of, of, of René Descartes is, is, is world-renowned. So somebody who has a Cartesian spirit, uh, this pre-Cartesian, means that that's who you, you know, logic. Logic is everything. It doesn't matter what you're doing in life, whether you're a mathematician or an artist. It, there's still logic in what you're doing. Musicians have logic. They follow a pattern. Uh, and, and 
my sisters a little bit more. Uh, Mum used to say about her, oh, she she's on the plane of her own. She's always like 50 centimetres above the ground. You know, she's not totally grounded. She's she's special. You know, absolutely adore her. But she's a she's a musician at heart. You know, she plays music. And, but so when we're arguing about something or when we're doing something, oh yes, she said, I know you're right. You're right. You have the spirit of Cappadocia. Uh, and I said, no, I'm just. I'm just being logical about things, you know. Black is black and white is white, and, and that's it, you know. So in my experiences, I think that that fits the bill very well because I just accept I accept who, who I am and what happens uh, without... Yes, it, it, it's just there. It's just there. never exploited it. I've never exploited it. You know, you see in these magazines, you know, these people, you know, ring up and, and, and they charge and they tell... Uh, I don't believe in that. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that these people can't work things out, but I don't believe that there should be uh, an exploitation, monetary exploitation. For it. I, that's just me. That, that's just me. I, it's my personal opinion. And, and But, you know, some people... Uh, do my grandmother to get back to her who, who was a bit like that she used to go and see a card lady now this card lady actually when she first saw me I was in a little pram I was like two years old <laughs> and she said she looked at me allegedly I don't remember it looked at me and she said oh goodness me she said this child she said she will travel every ocean of the world and I did not because she said so but it so happened, after I lived in London, I wanted to travel around the world and I, I, I sort of went around the world three times over six years uh, and we, we sailed everywhere back then. We didn't fly, so P&I got it all out of me. But I did, I did travel all the oceans. Well, you certainly had an amazing, uh, having an amazingly rich and um, beautiful life and I'm so honoured that you shared with us some of it today, Micheline. It's so wonderful. No, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. I wonder if there's anything else, any last sort of thought or reflection that you'd like to leave our listeners with. Oh, dear, I don't know. Um, just open your hearts and listen. That's... It's out there. It's out there. If... if, if and even the clouds, even the patterns, the clouds in the sky can leave a message. I love looking up at the clouds myself. And do you think as well as being out there, it's in us? Yes, as well. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Well, thank you. Um, I'm very happy to have met you face-to-face -face after all these years because I think we just had a phone conversation more than a decade ago where you shared your dream with me. So it's lovely to be able to go into the dream deeper and hear a little bit more about you, Micheline. So, yeah, very honoured that you shared with us on Spirit oh, thank Sisters. Thank you for including me. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Spirit Sisters, the podcast, based on my best-selling book of the same name. I really hope you enjoyed this episode and will join me again next time for another intriguing conversation exploring mysteries and marvels. In the meantime, please subscribe so that you won't miss an episode. I also welcome your feedback, so please message me through my website, karinamachado.com, or find me on Facebook at Karina Machado Author. Perhaps you have your own encounter to share. If so, I'd love to hear it. After all, 
there's nothing more powerful than a story. Thank you.